Welcome to Rich in Life, a podcast for anyone looking to be entertained while picking up a few tips on life, luxury, and resilience. And now your host, Rich Irani. Hi, my guest today is author Victoria Tusi Arnstein. She came out with a book called Impress Yourself, which is a very good book. I've read it and I definitely recommend that everybody read it. It doesn't matter what age you are. If you're a boy, girl, it's a great book. She talks about the importance of loving yourself and her life lessons on confidence, guilt, friendship, jealousy, courage, distraction, and many other things. She's also a comedian. And we talk about what it's like being a comedian in this day of cancel culture and having to be politically correct, especially if you have a definite viewpoint in politics and it doesn't jive with what everybody else likes. So we're going to talk about that as well. It's a really fun interview. So here she is, Victoria Tusi Arnstein. So Vicky, hi, can you hear me okay? I can hear you okay. Okay, this is great. How are you doing? I'm great. Okay, I good. mean, I'm good. I'm, I'm all right. <laughs> You're okay, just okay. All right. I'm a little disappointed in that. I thought you'd be much better being on Rich in Life. <laughs> now I'm good. Okay, so listen, I want to make an introduction. Uh, this is actually who I have today is a comedian and author of the book, Impress Yourself. And she's also an old friend from the hood back in Brooklyn. So you said you're doing okay. We already covered that. You're okay, not doing great. I'm white knuckling it, I told you. And then you asked me if I was spending, what, uh, 91 days in a bathroom too. <laughs> you're, so, you're so great. I know. Sometimes, you know, I think of it that for people that don't understand that joke, uh, one of my guests before this was a woman who spent 91 days in a bathroom hiding from the genocide in Rwanda. It was a genocide in Rwanda hiding from the other tribe. So, you know, when I was reading the book, I really wasn't complaining a lot, Vicky. Yeah. Can I call you Vicky or you want Victoria? Vicky is fine. Victoria is more of a professional name, but it's Vicky. Okay, good. Because I, I know you as Vicky. And when we were friends back in the day, it was always Vicky. And I never remember you to be so insightful and smart. And I will say that your book really is inspiring because, you know, when you sent me the book, I have to say it, you know, it took me a while to open the book and to read it because I, I had so many other guests that I had to read. But when I did read the book, Impress Yourself, I was actually impressed with you because, you know, you talk about a lot of things that people probably already know, but need to hear it again. They right. need to hear it. They need to read it again. And it really does give you kind of a, a jump start to kind of really get your priorities. We're going to get to the book because there's a lot of chapters that I liked. Um, okay. So the favorite, one of the favorite parts in the book to me was um, what you wrote to me when you sent me the book. <laughs> it was Dear Richie. You have always been one of my funniest friends, and that's coming from a comedian. I'm so glad to know you and cherish all the times I've ever spent with you. You're one of the best looking people I know. No, I'm kidding. That's the only thing you didn't say, but everything else you did say. Right, and but you uh, are, but you are. You're very sweet. That was really nice, and I, I, I appreciated you sending me the book. Can I ask you a question? Only. <laughs> okay. So why is it that when you're young, you know, you're, you have the youth and you have the beauty, but you really don't have the experience and you don't have the confidence. And then you suddenly get older and you kind of lose all of that. And then kind of God replaces it with, I guess, wisdom and confidence. Yeah. Can you explain why that happens? 
Why does that happen? Yeah, um, is there any well, way we could is there any way we could have really started out being as smart as we are now and still no. be young? No. No. Absolutely not. It's a it's it's a conundrum that we all have to face, you know. We don't want to age, but we all want the wisdom. Um I'm a late bloomer anyway, so my depth happened later, but also you can be catapulted at a young age by circumstance. You know, parents could get divorced or someone can die. And, you know, that can that could mature you very quickly because you'd have to become independent by default. So for me, I was very coddled and cradled as a kid. I didn't have a hard childhood, but then uh, teenagers and stuff like that, hormones and stuff like that, you know, kind of skew what you have to do with your life because you really just want to get through high school or junior high, you know? And so you're not really thinking of in-depth news articles or things that are happening in globally. You don't think about those things because you're really thinking about yourself. Most teenagers, you know, that are not faced with circumstances are just caring about how do they look? How do they smell? How do they feel? Does the boy like me? Does the girl like me? Whatever it is that they're thinking about is very shallow because they just want to get through the day. High school and junior high are hard enough, you know? But so you're not really thinking about those things. We have the capacity to think about those things. And I'm sure in other countries, they're not thinking about junior high. You know, they do have a certain maturity level, you know, at a younger age right. in certain countries. But you did say something very smart. It's like sometimes it does take a loss or a death to really, you know, slap you in the face with reality. Yeah. And it does mature you. And oh, how yeah. old were you when your dad died? 20. And I was you a were. young 20. I was a sheltered 20. I know. You know, it's funny that you said that you were a late bloomer. I, I know you were. I was too. I was yeah. kind of a late bloomer myself. I mean, you know, had I have known half of the shit that I know now, I probably oh, could yeah. have like had people wrapped around my pinky, you yeah. know, but. Yeah. Like you said, you know, you don't know. I remember your dad. I, what I do remember is your dad was on the cover of a magazine. And yeah. I remember he was kind of tricked into this thing that turned into a scandal. And this yeah. was just a couple of years before he passed away or just maybe a year, yeah. was it? Yeah. yeah. And I think it added to his death because, you know, stress was what killed him in, in the end because he had um, triple a quadruple bypass Um a few years into it, like he, just a few years later. And the stress was building because when you live in a community, and this is where things started to really make sense to me and click. When you live in any community, the Hamptons, Beverly Hills, wherever it is, Hollywood. And we were community. from a community. I'm sorry to interrupt right. you, but for people listening, we were from a community in Brooklyn. Right. And, you know, like I say, it was the hood. I lived around the corner from Vicky. It was a fishbowl. Everybody kind of knew each other. And it was kind of very insular. It was very insular. Right. And if I remember the story correctly, your, your dad was kind of promoting his own business. And right. these uh, journalists pretended to be very interested in his business and wanted to know more. But what they actually did was infiltrate themselves into the community to yeah. divulge the way the community lives, where they yeah. go to synagogue, what kind of cars they drive, how much their homes are. Right. And your dad took the rap for that, even though he right. was tricked into exactly it. Exactly right. You had, you hit it. You hit it on the head. And the truth is, I didn't understand any of it until afterwards. Um, we thought it was great that he was in a magazine. In fact, I remember. What magazine was it? It was New York Magazine. Yep. And I remember, first of all, that was the first introduction in never trusting the press or, you know, uh, journalists, because I think that they, and, and even later on in life with my husband also did something with a journalist and he turned the whole thing around. So that, that was like two times in my life 
that I could say for sure, I do not trust journalists because I don't know what they could say. So my father got a phone call from, uh, I think it was uh, Ben Dayan, I think it was Sharon Ben Dayan's father. Uh-huh. Um, he, he called him up, he says, oh, do you want to send the reporter to me? And when he hung up the phone, I said, you're sending your story, your reporter to another, another person? He says, yeah, I want everybody to benefit in the community that we could lift ourselves up and be known that we've come from nothing and we started and we did things with it. So I'm like, that's really nice of you. He goes, yeah, I'm a really nice guy. And that's how, that's how the conversation yeah. went. And I he really, there. I have to say, your dad really was a nice guy. A nice I mean, guy. I knew him. Yeah. He's such a nice guy. Yeah. Always so. smiling, always everything. But I remember also the interview. I was there for the interview. And the guy turned around everything he said. And then afterwards, I remember my father calling him from the office. I was sitting with him in the office. And he says, could you show me the magazine before it comes out? They said, no, you have to see it on the newsstands. Well. As soon as it came out, my mother, who's very, very projective, like she saw, she could read people very well. She says, this is going to be a public hanging. This is going to be the worst thing. She went crying to the rabbi and begged him, Rabbi Hecht, she Uh begged him to cut it at the quick and please, you know, explain what happened, that he was set up and he wouldn't do it. And he wouldn't do it. You know, it's a shame. And I think one of um, one of the one of the ways it really came out was, I think, if I remember correctly, one of the journalists was hiding in the synagogue, and the rabbi heard a click. And you know, there are no cameras in our synagogues. You're not allowed on Saturday. And he made the person that made that click stand up with the camera. I mean, we're going back. I don't know, forty years ago, or yeah, about forty years ago, maybe thirty-eight years ago. There weren't cell phones, and that and that photo that he took was also in New York Magazine. So, I mean, so your dad took a lot of heat for that, but he really was a great guy. I think people really knew that it wasn't his fault. It was just he was a victim. It also taught me never to put my two feet in one community. Right. I always have my foot out the door. And that's when my attraction to other things started to really enhance, you know? Like I right. started to see outsiders as the fun people. Like I never wanted to be in one situation where I couldn't get out of it. And right. I'm still I remember you went through a lot because even after your dad passed away, and I still think of this, so, you know, it's crazy that at my age, so many years later, I think of what happened to your dad, and I'm going to explain the story. When your dad passed away, you didn't get the insurance money. And the no. reason why you didn't get it, if I remembered, was because when he filled it out, he forgot to say he had a little bit of a cancer thing on his ear. Removed. He had it removed. Yeah. So after he died, they looked up and they said, oh, he didn't put that on the application, so we're not giving them the money. Right. That's exactly what you never right. did. I can't so what you, you remember that. Do you remember? Well, I remember it because to this day, I forget to tell people I had a basal carcinoma removed from my upper lip. I and had I, melanoma right here just last week taken out. Oh, you did? Wow. You oh, look yeah. good for somebody who just went Thank through you. that. Yeah, it was a major, it was a big scar. Wow. Well, that you would never forget. Mine was a small thing. It happened many years ago. And when I had my kids and I'm getting insurance, I keep forgetting to put it down. And and then I think of your dad and I go back and I call my broker, my insurance broker. And I say, oh, I forgot. I forgot this. Like I'm making sure to not make the same. I'm so glad I told you. Do you believe it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, there's so many different stories that, you know, like people get inspired by, but even so, like there's a, there's a story that happened to me right before, um, I don't know if I wrote this in the book because I've said it so many times that, um, 
there was a story where I had to get into the next grade in fifth grade. And um, I sat in the class and I took the test the summer before. I even had the answers. Like I had everything left and right. I knew it. I had a tutor all summer and I knew it like the back of my hand. Well, I wrote the test so quickly and I didn't make the next grade. I didn't know what was wrong with me. My father thought, wow, what's wrong with you? You know, like that was so devastating that I didn't pass the test. And years later, let's fast forward. I'm at, a, I'm at a party and the music's blaring. And this kid, David Ancona, tells me, hey, do you remember that time that we both took the test and I sat in back with you? I said, y -y yeah. He says, oh, you remember when I also switched it because you forgot to write your name? Anyway, I got a 35 and you got like a 98. I'm like, what did you just say? And I heard it, it was like, <laughs> now always write your name is what my point. My kids always write their name first now. That story goes a long way. Vicky. Now, but I wanted to choke him. We're similar. He changed, in one... he changed my whole life. I moved to, uh, I went to Mag and David Yeshiva after that. Wow. You know, it, me and you, if we're the type that we learn things the hard way. My mother always says, why do you have to learn everything the hard way? <laughs> That's the only way we really know it. Yeah. So, but going back, so you had it rough even with money. When you didn't get the insurance money, your oh, mom yeah. really had to go to work. I remember she was working very hard. Yeah. But um, luckily for her, she met a guy who she loved, who she's still with. I mean, yeah. I don't know how much she loved him at the time. I'm sure she did. But I remember being in your house talking to Albert, which is her stepfather. That's your stepfather. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the funny things I said, what are you doing with her? You're too old. I used to tell him that. <laughs> you call him Uncle Albert. You know, I, it's funny because my mother has um, this thing where she's very unique. She loves people that nurture her. So she likes that my father was much older. Albert is much older. She didn't She didn't really go for like the looks kind of thing. I did. I was more shallow. Right. You but know, Albert was, not, I, well, let's just say Albert was nice looking. He was a tall, oh, yeah, good looking. Oh, yeah, no, I know. Nice, He's like a Robert yeah. De Niro type of guy. Yeah. But I mean, in other words, she didn't go for that like charismatic, right. gorgeous guy, whatever, you know, but I, I personally didn't understand that. Now as an older woman, of course, I understand it now. of course, but you know, just to wrap it up, your mom always had a great disposition. I'd go in yeah. there, I'd make fun of everyone. Your mom would laugh and Albert would say, well, I have something she wants and she has something I want, you know? So it was funny and your mom always left everything off. And to this day, I know they're happy because I was in Israel just yeah. a couple of years ago and I still see your mom and Albert every once in a while out. Yeah. So that's nice to see. Yeah. So I wanna to go to you now meeting your husband. Could we say his name? Michael. Michael. Okay. I just want to know because they know Michael Arnstein now when we get to the story. I mean, it's crazy how this, how, listen, I want to know how, why you started to write the book. I mean, it's great. The story with the FBI, you're in Hawaii, you get married, you move to Hawaii, you're with Michael. Everything is great. You're exercising, you're doing all your shit. And the FBI comes in looking for your husband. Now you're yeah. away from your family, your parents, your siblings. How, I mean, so first question I'm going to start with is what made you write the book? We're going to get to the husband, the scandal, the jail after. What made you write this book aside from the exciting, you know, experience that you went through? Right. I mean, exciting to me, probably devastating to you. But. Right. So the two parts to that, um, I used to make YouTube, YouTube, uh, I used to be a health coach for charity. I used to do it for charity. And I used to make these YouTube videos about health health and fitness. You know, I was an ultra runner. I became, you know, a marathon runner. And I wanted to introduce that to people that, 
you know, were out there on YouTube. So I was getting a following and everything like that. And all these YouTube videos were like basically my thoughts for the day, you know? Right. And I had all these thoughts, but I never really, you know, put them in a book. That I always wanted to do. But then what happened was with my husband and I, um, we had so many ups and downs in our marriage and we almost got divorced twice. So the second time was when he was in the low security um, camp. Prison. prison. We, we're calling it camp now. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so we're calling it camp. I mean, he's it's calling quote it unquote, camp. he was he in camp. When her husband went to quote unquote camp. Okay. He went to camp. He calls it a camp because he had a really good time, actually. He was. I know, I read in the book. Yeah. The guy was tan, thin, yeah, yeah, prostitutes so all over waiting for him. He was so burnt out from business that he wanted to sleep for the next nine years. But anyway, so he was there for nine months. But he, at the end, when I was, when I was, I didn't think I was complaining, but he thought I was complaining. He heard it as he was so zen in, in this camp that when I talked to him and complained about anything, it was like polar, you know? And he was like, I don't want this anymore. I want to get a divorce. Right, so he's the one that went to jail in Hawaii, and he's no, the one. No, in 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 uh, Otisville, in New York, he went. Oh, it was. I yeah, okay. Yeah. So he went to jail here in Otisville, New York, and he was the one that wanted the divorce, not you. Right. So he's the one that actually did something wrong. Just can you tell me what happened? What did he really do wrong? Tell the people listening, uh, because yeah, I have sure. to tell you, I didn't know this. Yeah, I know. I had to read all. Nobody knew, and that's part of why I consider you a good friend. You spared me from all that. (laughs) You know, I have girlfriends that get divorced, and suddenly they call me out of the clear blue, and I'm, you know, nursing them out of bed for a year. You know, I the reason why I consider you more of a friend now is because you spared me all that. Right. And I'm surprised in our insular community, and I I didn't hear any of this. I had to read it all in the book. Well, I thought that also there was a. It was a very prevalent time because there was a there was a lot of suicide going on and I wanted people to get healthy and really get to know who they were without having to depend. What what happened with me was that when my husband and I were married, he was a very independent guy. So he did things without asking me permission. He would just go away on a business trip or even just go away on a trip to go running. He's a big runner. So he'd go on these races and I'd be stuck home with three kids. So by default, I had to become independent quickly. You know, like I really had to like, you know, get everything done by myself. And I was very dependent before that, you know? So uh, that respect, that's why I also wrote the book because I was like, I loved him so much that it was first he loved me so much. Then it turned around where I loved him so much and he was starting to like back away. And it wasn't even anything he was doing on purpose or I was doing on purpose. My next book's gonna be about relationships, by the way. Because, yeah, relationships, because I've gone through so many ups and downs with him that I realized the only relationship that really matters is the one with myself, but not in a delusional way. Not where, oh, I love myself. Like, you love someone, you definitely don't love everything about that person. That's a fact. So why do you have to love everything about yourself? You don't have to love everything about yourself. Start improving the things that really bother you, you know? Like, Things could frustrate you about yourself. So let that be something that you have to reach a goal for, but, or maybe just accept it, you know, maybe accept that you just, you're getting wrinkles, you're getting gray and there's nothing you can really do about certain things, but really self-love is self-care. And that's what I really believe that everybody has to have a certain uh, self-care and self-worth in order to have a relationship with anyone. 
I know because in the book you were very. What is that noise? Do you hear that noise? I feel like I'm hearing something. Is that me or you? I don't hear. I don't know if it's my uh, my air conditioner. I could shut it. Let me see. Oh, is it going off and on? No. Do oh, you hear it? Do you hear it now? No, but I I don't hear it all the time. It goes off and on. It's fine. Yeah. Like that. What was that noise just now? That was me. Well, what are you making so much noise for there, Vicky? No, I just shut. No, maybe it was my bracelet. All right. I'm. I'm no, it's not. It's fine. Okay. So no, I, I noticed from your book you were very candid about relationships and your relationship with him in terms of the fact that, you know, you say in the book, you were a little bit needy and the more, you know, you try yeah. to express that it pushed him farther and farther away from you. Right. And, and, so and sweatpants and, you know, like you're just not dressing, dressing up anymore. I say the dance starts when you get married. Like I don't, I mean, the whole entire game that people play beforehand, oh, now I'm married. I could be comfortable. Well, can you, can you really? Right. You know, a man still wants to chase you. You know what I mean? Like there's right. still, there's still got to be a little bit of a hunt. You know what I mean? There can't be, you take it for granted. I agree, but it's not just, it wasn't just you. Of course, we know it wasn't just you. So we don't want to kind of make it sound that's like true. it was just you. It that's was true. not, but no. I will say when things got hard, things got more stressful on you. And the more you, you know, I guess confronted him with it, the more he pulled away. So oh, yeah. really it was like the perfect storm of shit happening. That was, this was not going to end well. Right. Yeah. And he got married young. He got married at 22. And right. I was, I'm seven years older than he is. So I was oh, I a young- I forgot about that. You're yeah. seven years older than him. Wow. But he okay. identifies as a, as a 60 year old. So it's the same thing. <laughs> same thing. It doesn't matter. Even if he was seven years older, he'd be acting like he was seven years or 10 years younger anyway. Yeah, that's true. But I actually, I identify as a kid next to him. He, he takes care of everything, the bills, everything else. He's, he's very responsible. I just go along with everything. Okay, so I want to just fast forward a little bit. I'm sorry to interrupt. So you did you get the divorce? Did you actually get the the divorce or did you guys uh, separate? So this happened twice. The first time he actually uh, gave me papers. And I remember going out with a friend right afterwards and I didn't tell her what was happening. I was crying like a baby right beforehand. The second time, then we worked it out. The second time he wanted me back. I was in Hawaii, he was in New York and he wanted me back. And I said, well, you're gonna have to date me. Okay, but one second, how long before you, he didn't want, he wanted to break up and he wanted you back. What was the time limit? Do you know what I'm saying? Um, From the time that, that he was, said he yeah, wanted- Yeah, that was well, the first time, the first time? Yeah. The first time or the second time? Well, the, the first, first time, time you never really he, separated. But the first time you never separated, did you? Well, we did physically. I was in Hawaii. Oh. He was in New York and he gave me papers. So yeah. I oh, was okay. That was the first time. Him. Yes. Okay. Got it. So that's what I'm talking about. The first yeah, time. He, yeah. Because he already found out that he was going to go to this. I think he was yeah, he, like in limbo. Wasn't sure if he was going to the jail or not. So there's a, there was a very big stress in our marriage. And then um, the next time was also, uh, and also his diet was very strange. It was just fruits and vegetables for eight years with no fat. He had very low sex drive. It was a very weird, um, a weird thing for me to experience with him, you know? So Was he away for, but he wasn't in, he wasn't away for eight years, was he? No, 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 no. Then no. he went away for nine months. And that's when the at, tail end of that, we were talking on the phone all the time, but the tail end was, and he had to call me. I couldn't call him in, in jail. But the tail end of that was that he ended up calling me and I was complaining to him and about the 
kids or something and move. I had to move a whole house. I was moving back to New York from Hawaii. And he says, don't bother. I don't want, I don't want to be with you anymore. And he hung up the phone and he blocked me and I couldn't even email him anymore. Like usually I could email him. I couldn't email him. You know, I was devastated. I was walking around in a haze. And what about the kids? Well, they, they saw that I was, you know, going through it. And Sam was already in New York working with Michael. And I was, you know, in Hawaii trying to wrap things up. I can't, I got back to New York. So wait, was he still in contact with the kids? You have three yes, kids, right? Yes, three yes, of them. Yes, so he was. Father. So when he said you and stay there, he just meant you stay in Hawaii. No, 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 no. no. He knew I was back in New York now. He's like, oh. let's. Okay, but he didn't want to go back to my apartment. Got it. He wanted to go back to his own apartment. And this is after you said eight or nine months of being in quote unquote camp. Right. Okay. So eight (laughs) or nine months. Right. So he ended up going to um, there and then ended up going to his own house. He 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 got a his own apartment about a mile away from mine in New York. Okay. So can you just tell me really quickly, tell the people, what did he go to jail for? I read it in the book, but I want you to explain it. Okay. So my husband has a gemstone company and a software company, which is all in one. And he started it from, you know, a one man show with his father gemstones and he took it out and it became like an empire. And now he's got, you know, several different sites and everything else that he has. He made it into like an empire of gemstones, sapphires and rubies and emeralds. And um, <clears throat> pretty well known in, in the community of jewelry. So he hired a guy from India that was doing his software programming for him. And my husband, after two years, didn't like the way he was working, so he fired him. Well, this guy named Prashant um, tells him, well, if you do that, then I will make your life a living hell. And that's exactly what he did. He says, you're going to regret firing me. So it was a revenge thing. And so Michael, I'm sure, had no idea what he was talking. Do you hear that noise? I don't know what it is. Okay. I don't, so let's keep going. I think it's on my end. I don't hear I, anything from you me. You don't. Okay, good. Well, maybe hopefully they'll be able to cut it out. So. So this guy, Prashant, that threatened right. Michael, Michael had no idea what was really going. He just thought it was an idle threat. Right, of course, like anything else, you know, you know, the guy's in India, what's he going to do? Well, he decided to make fake Yelp reviews against the company, which brings down the status of the company on Google, it was on high, and then it it would go lower and lower. And then he would also make fake websites against the company. So my husband told Google, wait, what do you mean by fake websites? It's whenever I talk. What do you mean by fake websites? You can make fake websites against a company and, you know, um, you could you could put on bad reviews, you know, you could put on bad reviews okay. and stuff like that. It's mostly Yelp reviews. Let's just call it that because you're Got not going to yeah, understand. It, 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 right, I'm not. So let's, okay, Yelp reviews. Got it. So Yelp reviews and all that stuff. So what happened was my husband told Google about it to stop them. And he opened up a case basically um, trying to stop it. Well, Google did nothing about it. They didn't care, you know. And um, what happened was now that it was open with Google, they were able to see inside of anything that can happen, you know, from then on. So what happened was my husband hired somebody like uh, the FBI in India to look for this guy, Prashant. Well, good luck looking for an Indian in India. There's billions of (laughs) Indians named Prashant. So he ended up not um, not getting him. But then my husband hired a lawyer, a really expensive lawyer in New York, 
to get rid of this guy. Now, you have to understand, my husband and I were not very wealthy at that time. Like we were going through a very big dip in our finances. And I was like not spending anything. Then all of a sudden this guy tells my husband, if you give me a certain amount of money, I'll stop. Well, it was like hundreds of thousands of dollars. And my husband ended up giving him that money. And like, I didn't know any of this because my husband just told me a little bit of it, didn't want to get me involved. So he ended up- How did your husband get the money? So How did your husband get the money? So that's what I wanted to know. Turns out he had some money, but he couldn't really spend it. It was in the business. They took okay. it out of the business to put it in that. So now he gives him the money and then he goes, now I want another, I want to double it. I want you to give me another, whatever. It's, it's like really basically holding him for ransom at this point. Yeah. So, I mean, it's extortion. But so, he was blackmailing him and isn't that illegal in itself? Right, but try getting yeah, that guy in trouble in India. Right, okay. Right. So now, now that we know that, that we, he can't get him in trouble, my husband was at his help. You know, he was like, well, I don't know what else to do. So he hired a lawyer in New York and the lawyer said, okay, all I have to do is get a judge's approval and we'll take off, you know, the names and stuff like that with the Yelp reviews. I'll take them off. My husband was paying him an exorbitant amount of money. And he was like, I could do this myself. So my husband got one of his employees that were from Sri Lanka or Burma or wherever. And he ended up telling him, take them off. You just have to copy and paste. Well, because you copy and paste, it has a judge's name on it. That's considered forgery. Google saw the wrong date was written by the employee. My husband took the fall, by the way. The, the, the wrong date was written and Google traced it as why is there a wrong date? Because remember, we opened up the case with Google. So now the date was wrong. And so they investigated and they realized that my husband was taking off the websites by himself and the Yelp reviews. And he wasn't allowed to do that without the lawyer. You know, he fired the lawyer because he didn't want to pay him to do it. He's like, what do I have to do? Copy him. They considered it forgery. He never forged a signature, but they considered it forgery. And then he went to jail for nine months. It's so crazy. It is so crazy. He's just saving his business. You can't write. I would have done the same thing. Everybody I would have done the same thing. No, no, no. I would have done the same thing. Not he thinking. Nobody any money. No reparation. Not, not, none of that happened. He didn't steal anything. He didn't do anything to give anybody money back. He didn't kill anyone. He didn't do anything crazy. That's the only reason why he was there. And it's funny because I'm serious that so many people would probably do the same thing. Yeah. I mean, they wouldn't do it if they thought they'd go to jail or if that you know was considered forgery. I wouldn't know that that's right. considered he didn't know. forgery. He didn't know. So in the end, okay, so, so that was the FBI fr- call, came into my house in, in Hawaii. I'm in the garage exercising on the bike. And all of a sudden, these guys come in and they're like, FBI. I'm like, you're joking. I'm being punked. I'm watching Hawaii Five O. I'm like, wow, this seems so real. <laughs> right, and the music is on, and they're coming yeah, in with the like, music on. Like, dun, dun, dun. I was like, Are you kidding? <laughs> but then I served him coffee, told him to come to my comedy show in the whole world. I want to get to the comedy thing after. So I just wanted. So how did you wind up getting back with Michael? How did this? I mean, I know. Are okay. you back with him now? Yes, we're we're better than ever. Okay, how long have you been better than ever? So For how many it's years? Been almost two years now. Two years. Okay. So, so you guys never really got the divorce. No, we never you got s- the divorce. So, okay. I want you that to tell. That would have cost the- him a lot of money, actually, because you know there was no prenup. Then <laughs> there was, and does he have money now? I hope he does. Yeah. Good. Okay. Good. He's doing well. <laughs> so wait, I wanted people to hear how 
because in the book, it's so interesting how when in your mind, you almost had an epiphany, your mind clicked and you suddenly did things differently. And the minute you started doing things differently and approaching Michael differently, he started to come back to you. Yes. That's how he met. When he met me, I was super confident. I was, I was a very seasoned salesperson. I was very, very aware of how to read people. I knew he liked me. I knew how to get him. And, and you were independent. Very, that's when I was independent also. That okay, was the only great. time I was independent. So yeah. tell people now, you can't seem to even talk to your husband. He's in, you know, he's in jail. You can't talk to him. You can't, um, he doesn't want to deal with you. And right. now you're basically doing all this mourning and crying and you're upset. Yeah, and, and he didn't even come back to me. He came, he went to another apartment. I was devastated. When he got out. And during yeah. this whole time, did you have your family? Did you have your, I know you kept it, you know, kind of quiet. So you oh, didn't, I didn't maybe... keep, I didn't keep it quiet with my family. Uh, they were right, aware so with, of it. Nothing were they, they supportive? Do. Nothing yeah, they can do. Nothing they can do. It was like I, I didn't even care if I walked in front of a bus. I didn't care. Right. The only thing that saved me were my kids. My kids, really. But right. then I clicked. But then it clicked. He said something to me that that really switched for me. He said, "Why don't you just?" We went out apple picking with the kids and everything that we did every year, and we were, you know, friends. We were good friends on the trip. Um, he had grown a beard, looked really nasty, but I still had this attraction to him because it was still Michael underneath, you know? Right. And that night I said, oh, I thought you're coming over. We're talking on the phone. He says, no, Vicky, why don't you just move on? Let's just move on. Like, go find someone else. And I, it just clicked in my head like he told it to me and he really meant it. That's what I thought. And the next day, he doesn't have Facebook, but I wrote on Facebook a whole thing of like, I'm getting separated, things happen. You know, it was cathartic for me to write it. My mother didn't like it, but I did it anyway. I wrote it out and he didn't know I wrote it. And then an hour and a half later, he called me, he says, you know, I wasn't nice to you last night. And I'm, and I'm really regretful that I said that to you. I want you back. And I said, just like that, I want, he, he said the yeah. word, I want you just back. Just like that. Those words. And I said, well, I just wrote a whole article, a whole thing on Facebook <laughs> that I'm single. So he said, why'd you do that? I said, well, because what you said to me last night, he goes, well, take it down. I goes, not yet. Not so fast, buddy boy. You know what? It was such a switch in my mind from the night before. And that letter really made it real. I said, now you're going to have to date me just like everyone else. And I'm not doing an exclusive with you either because I'm dating other guys. That's all. And this is, this is true. I've read this in the book and I thought that, yeah. wow, that was yeah. a very good approach as opposed to just, you know, yeah. going back. Oh yeah. And then we would meet in the park and we'd hold hands and we'd talk and we'd have, and we were friends. We'd walk the dog or whatever, you know, what like, we just had a good time. We had a good time without. You're frozen. Without the heavy, you know, of being married. Do you see me now? Yeah, you're cutting out a little. So wait, so you said that you started kind of dating again. Right? Yeah, it was so almost we like dating. And, yeah, we would meet in the park in Central Park. We'd hold hands. We'd talk. We we were dating without the heaviness of being married. Right. You know, like the finances and the nagging and whatever he thought was nagging. Right. Uh, and I notice it now more too. Now I'll back off if I'm nagging. I'll notice it and I'll even say I'm sorry before he would tell me I don't like the word sorry. Just do it. But now, and also now he has a sex drive back. You know, it came back. He started eating, 
you know, well, we didn't know that he his sex drive was gone. Did you say oh, that? No, I said, yeah, I did. Say oh, you that. did. His sex yeah. drive was gone. Yeah, okay. because of the diet that he was on. It was very. Oh, serious. right. That's right. So that was right. So Pay that attention. was another obstacle. So there were a lot of obstacles. <laughs> what did you say? Pay attention, Rich. <laughs> I know I'm paying attention. I'm paying attention to all the noises that I'm saying. What the fuck is wrong with the sound? We got to figure that out. But um, yeah, so you had a lot of obstacles. It wasn't yeah. just, you know, there was a lot of different elements of that. At some point, you say in the book that your family wasn't supportive. So exactly what weren't they supportive about? Was it the book? Was it about the divorce? Was it about the way you handled, not the divorce, the separation? Was it about the way you handled the separation? Did I say what? they weren't supportive? No. No, I just said that they don't, they, they didn't understand, like they couldn't help me. There was nothing they could have done. They didn't, we didn't have divorce in my family. They didn't know a thing about it. Right. Like, okay. I don't know. Get a lawyer. We don't know what to do. Okay. I'm Everybody probably making stuff married up. In my family. They probably are. <laughs> <laughs> they were supportive, but there was nothing they could do. There was like, no, okay. nothing anybody could do, you know, when you're in a situation, you're in it yourself. And that's another thing that I want people to realize. You really can't rely on anybody else. You really have to impress yourself with things that you've done before add those up and look back at how many things you've accomplished it it, it, it does wonders for your mind it really so does. did your kids read the book not yet they but did I wrote, it, I wrote it for them because right, I, I know wanted them to know what was happening with my life um during this time in case they didn't know every detail and also um, giving the book, uh, the proceeds to children's hospitals and charities. I'm not making anything on it. I want people to really impress themselves. Like I really, really want them to have this, this sense of self and well, work. You give some very good examples in the book. So I think this book is really good for everyone. And I guess maybe because I know you for so many years, especially when we were young, um, I didn't take it seriously immediately, but when I started reading the book, it's really well-written and you talk yes. about everything. I mean, one of my favorite chapters was a distraction because I've been saying that to people, to friends for decades, you know, when they go through a very upsetting time and you bring up in the book, listen, it's not good to be distracted from reality, but when things go bad, sometimes you need a distraction to get you through difficult times. Yeah. Yeah. Usually in podcasts, I don't, you know, I've been doing a lot of podcasts lately for the book and I don't really talk about the, what happened with my husband because I want them to read it. Right. But in this case, it's a guide too. I mean, like there were chapters in this book, um, little plug, um, there are chapters in this book that talk about um, karma, charity, um, that the eight pillars of health, which you know, I think that could be a guide. You can continue to read that forever because that's a good reminder. One of the chapter, one of the uh, pillars of health is laughter. And I got to say, I'm a big fan of that one. And I really believe, and I think we're friends because of, because of uh, laughter. And yeah, you, absolutely. Have that's the... humor. you have a great sense of humor. That's true. I do. Yeah. You have a great sense of humor and you do, you get out of situations kind of that are sticky with humor. And I think that that's a really good approach because it bonds people. It's just well, you and I are the same way because I noticed yeah. that things that, you know, that can happen to you that are very bad, you kind of are able to make a joke out of it. And right. I find that your mother also has a good disposition. I don't know yeah. if that's where you got sense of humor. Yeah. great sense of humor. You have a great disposition. Even yeah. the once in a while I've seen you over the years, you know, we, I'd make fun of you. You'd make fun of me, but nobody gets insulted ever. And that's part of having yes. a great disposition yes. and not taking yourself seriously. Yes. And I never get offended because I don't think that anything is, I, I like, 
like myself too much now to get offended. It's a but what I respected in the book is when you say how, you know, you're playing at comedy clubs and here you're inviting so many people and people are not coming, but you don't want to pressure them or put them on the spot, which I appreciated. You know, I'm not a comedy person. I know you're I, not. I'm not. I don't like to go to a comedy club and laugh on cue. I right. just don't like to do it. It's right. not my thing. I saw a couple of your clips, which I want to play. We'll get to that. And um, I think you sound, I think you're very funny. I actually think you're very funny. I just don't like to go into a comedy club. And I, and, and, I, and I, everybody has their thing. And that's, that's what's beautiful about liking yourself so much that it doesn't affect you. Do you know what right. I mean? But yes. you got to get to that point of liking yourself. And that's what I, that's what I show in the book. Whereas it's like, you know, start doing things that you're impressed by start doing those things and then well, the you'll point, start getting impressed by yourself right well that was the whole point that i got from it is that you're you're actually you know putting your money where your mouth is you're actually doing what the book is saying you're doing and you've been doing it so i'm reading in the book and i'm actually nodding my head saying that's true she did never pressured anyone she never you know got mad she never did anything she just went about her thing and she did it and you know i was impressed with that yeah, you I mean, also... I don't get it. I don't get him. If I don't get invited to something, I'm like, all right, so I didn't get invited. Right. Yeah, that's another. That's a whole nother uh, podcast, which <laughs> actually would be a good one. But uh, you also <laughs> talk about in the book. Um, you talk about confidence, jealousy, humility, guilt, ego. What was the most destructive thing for you? In what way? Destructive. You know, destructive for your marriage for your family, or even f getting to comedy, getting to where you are today? Uh, so I think the most important thing that I could really, you know, stand by is that if I feel insecure in any way, that's going to affect any relationship that I have. So that could destroy even a relationship with my kids, with myself. It's just negative stuff that washes away. Nobody cares about you. Like nobody cares in the end. I mean, the people that love you care, but the people that you're thinking about that think about you, they're not, they're really not. Cause you're not, right. right. You're not, you know, you're not thinking about somebody else right now. So you, there's a book, there's a quote in the book from Charlie Chaplin that I loved. Yeah. Nothing is eternal in this world. Not even our problems. I mean, that's comforting to know. I like to walk in the rain because no one can see my tears. The most wasted day in life is the day we do not laugh. And yes. I know that you, that is a strong one for you. Yeah. And then you, you know, then he goes on to say the six best doctors in the world are sun, rest, exercise, diet, self-esteem, and friends. I mean, I love it because, you know, when you look at it, it makes me want to kind of not shrug off the friends that have been calling me, yeah. you know, just do the things that I know can really be helpful to lifting yeah. spirits. Yeah, there's a lot of people in your life also that'll come and go, but if you see a thread, like like we're coming back to each other in some way, you know what I mean? Right. Like everybody's sent to you. I really believe this. And there's a prayer that I say all the time, and I mention in the book that, and I'm not a very praying kind of girl, like in Hebrew, I, don't, I need to know what I'm saying. So I make up my own prayers. And basically it's, you know, send me the, right people in my life and the ones that don't belong let them go and that's so hard to understand when you're in a relationship with friends and then all of a sudden they do something to really anger you or really you know put you off but 
there's a reason why they were in your life at that time. And there's a reason why they're out of your life. They're probably not good for you in the long term, but they were sent to you for a certain amount of time. And I really believe that people come through, God comes through people. I really believe that. That's to me, I think that's the most spiritual I can get because you see the messages that people are sending you if they're in your life. And it's up to us to really have a ground. You know, I got really into chess lately online right. um, and it's helping me really not just focus and i don't care if i lose any game i'm learning by losing i don't want to know the four great moves i don't want to learn from the masters i'm learning chess because i want to know how to get out of a situation that's you know any kind of situation so i have to be 10 steps ahead and i have to have all strategy to beat the person that i'm my opponent and i don't know who these people are and i don't want to know who they are i just want to play the game and then I want to just see if I can get out of a situation. And if I can't, I have another game right afterwards. That's how I look at life right now. I look at it as, you know what? That didn't work out. Oh, well, next thing, next thing. Because you don't have that much time. And you know what? We have no idea when our expiration date is on our birth certificate. So we all have to really play every single day like it is our last. And that's really the truth. I love that. If you wanted some, I mean, what, what's the number one thing you want people to take away from this book? Uh, true self-love, true self-love, not the fake kind, not the kind where you have to convince yourself, I'm great, right? No, not that kind. The kind where you're compassionate with yourself because you'd be compassionate as a friend. Be your own best friend. Because even if you're alone, you're still not alone. And that is so important because so many people feel like they're alone. My daughter doesn't have any friends this year because she was on a Zoom class every single day. So she has no friends this year. Is it affecting her socially? Sure it is. I mean, even though my husband was in jail, he liked it because it was a social aspect of it. You know, he's not an extrovert at all. But there was something social that bonded him with the other people there that people have a, a human basic need is to connect with people. And that's probably why I'm online on Instagram all the time. And I'm on, I'm on Facebook because I want to connect with people too. And even the chess game also connects me in some way. So it's a human basic need. And as much as you're an introvert and you don't want to, you don't like people, there's still something about in our DNA that makes us want to connect with everybody. And if you can't connect with people, at least you're connecting with yourself. And that's something that's you're with yourself. The, the caption is stop waiting for approval from others. When you, you're the one you live with 24 seven, you really are with yourself the most. And you take people in doses. Remember that too. It's not important to stay with people all day long and suffocate them and feel suffocated. You have to take people in doses. Everyone. It also applies to friends, doesn't it? You, you know, oh, yeah. there are friends that you can be with once every couple of months. There are friends you could talk to daily and it shouldn't have to be all or nothing. Absolutely. I never get insulted if somebody doesn't have the time or whatever. I just say, you know what? It, either it's meant to happen or it's not going to happen. I can make a certain effort, but you can't push anything. There's no so it, it has to happen organically. All friendships and all relationships should happen organically. And the one with yourself has to happen organically. I'm 51 years old. It took me 50 years to realize that I could actually like myself. You know what I mean? Not 
in a delusional way, but I could, it's not an all or nothing thing. That's what people see these self-love books, you know, like, oh, the self-help uh, section in the, in the bookstore. Let me see if I could self-love. I'll meditate. I'll do all these things. But you know what? There's so many ways to get there. There's so many ways. And one of the ways is to really take care of your health. That is the most important thing. And what is you're saying is by way of taking yeah. care of your health, it's through the natural things, uh, by friendships, uh, taking in the sun, eating right, exercising. And I know it sounds Hydration. so cliche. Yeah, I yeah, know. And it so sounds cliche. so cliche, right? But it I really know. does. I feel my best when I'm when I'm implementing all of this in my life. Yes, yes. And it doesn't have to be every single day like today. You're cutting out. Today I'm beating the heat. Like, I don't want to go outside. I have to go right. outside. Um, right. Today you're beating the heat, you said, and you don't want to go out. Yeah. Like I don't, I don't want, like yesterday, I didn't go out until the nighttime. I didn't have to go out. You know, I don't right. have to do certain things. People feel the need that they have to do certain things. You don't have to do anything. You okay, don't do I, anything to anything. Right. So I want to talk about your comedy. We're going to take a break now. Okay. And I, when we come back, I want to play a clip. So we're back. I've got Vicky Tusi Arnstein, and I just want to play a clip from one of her standups. Travels a lot, like two months at a time. It's a long time. It's starting to make me a little bit crazy, you know. I'm starting to like talk to myself. I mean, so much so that I had to go see a doctor, you know, just to go get my uh, body felt up. <laughs> it's been a while, you know. What I'm talking about, right? It's been a while, you know. At least he said he was a doctor. <laughs> he was wearing white. The point is, it's not cheating if it's a doctor. I'm gonna split up a lot of couples, you know. If you didn't laugh, you're probably writing it down. And I totally understand that. I get it. And if you're a doctor, you're taking notes. I totally get it. So... <laughs> so I, I mean, it's funny. You're funny. So you said you did that when you were actually separated. Yeah. 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 Because, you know, he was, he was in... He was in jail and I was like not getting anything. And before that, I wasn't getting anything. I was like, maybe I should just go see a doctor just to get felt off. Well, let me tell you, you seem really good. Maybe separation works for you too. Either way, don't worry about it. You can tell Michael, come, go, whatever you want. I'm going to be fine. That's going to make him want you even more. Yeah, no, it's true. I That's exactly what uh, the message is in this book also. It really is. And it's not just doing it like, I was naturally doing it when I was dating him because he was younger than I was. So I didn't right. know I was doing all the right things. I was doing it because I really didn't think I was going to marry him. And I didn't think he was serious about marriage at 21. Right. So I was naturally not available all the time, you know, and he kept the hunt. And then I realized that formula, it works till now. Why give that up? You know what I mean? Right. This, that formula works. So I have a question for you. Why do you think that, well, first I want to ask you, who are your favorite comedians? Do you have any? Uh, I have a lot that are, you know, kind of edgy. I like Jim Jeffries. I like um, Daniel Tosh from Tosh.0. Yeah. I like that kind of humor. I like people that push um, and go to the other extreme of the edge. I like that. Um, are you still friends with Jackie Mason? Yes. Yes. Uh, I've had lunch with him a couple of times and um, more than a couple of times. And, you know, now he's starting to get older and you know, forget more and stuff. But I've had really great sessions with him where he, I've naturally told him my joke, jokes from standup and he would laugh out loud and say, put that in your bit. And I said, I already did, you know? Uh -huh. So so he was already approving of it without me asking, is this a good joke? Is this a good joke? I was naturally putting it into the conversation. Like I right. would tell him, oh yeah, I went to my doctor, you know? 
like that. And he would laugh. And so I knew I got the seal of approval from Jackie Mason. So he's great, Jackie Mason. You know who else I like? And I'm I'm really showing my age, but he was even before my time. I love Don Rickles. Somebody, oh, Judah yeah. from Israel sent me uh, yeah. stuff. I look at these clips of Don Rickles. I mean, if he was alive and doing this shit today, he would not only be canceled, they would probably destroy his entire life. And Joan yeah. Rivers, another one who I love. Yeah. I had Melissa on as a guest, and yeah. she told me if her mom was around, she'd be canceled. She couldn't cancel do any, They culture. couldn't do fashion police. They couldn't do anything. Cancel culture is a cancer. It is really a cancer that spreads. It's so dangerous that people are allowing this to happen. And what your last guest that I heard from Africa was saying was that propaganda is a very dangerous thing. I that's was, right. That's why I voice my opinions and I get bashed for it on Facebook. I'm very vocal on Facebook, more so than Instagram. And I know I get bashed for it. I've also been banned from a couple of comedy shows in Hawaii because I said, you know, my political views and my stance on views. And I don't care because at least if I get to one person, I'm okay with that. Right. It's worth so, right. So, th so that's another thing. You do have political views and you're okay to have political views, just not conservative political views. Right. So I've never been conservative. I've always been liberal. Um, I know. Um, you know, I'm socially liberal, but I'm fiscally conservative. So. Okay, so this is the joke. And I was going to say, you know, are do you hate gays? No. Okay, so me not. and you, I mean, me and you have been friends forever. <laughs> I okay, wouldn't, right, be, able to, right. I wouldn't are, be able to be friends with you if of I Of course. Are you racist? Not even close. Right. Okay, so this is the funny part. I say conservative because you're just your views and because – Listen, I'm very liberal. You know, I'm a guy in a relationship with another guy. I'm extremely liberal. However, I'm not woke. I'm not, you know, a radical left. Right. I'm just awake. I know what's going on. Right. And there's also there's there's also a spectrum. Sorry to cut you off. No. There's go. a spectrum with when it comes to homosexuality. There's a spectrum. There's I'm gonna just be homosexual and not have to be in a pride parade and not have to have a neon sign, you know. Or, and then there's the middle of the ground. And then there's the neon sign. I am gay. You better respect me. This is what I am. You need to like me. You need to respect me. And then they're very vocal about it. It's like, I don't care what you do in your bedroom. I don't even care what heterosexuals do in their bedroom. I don't care. Just do you. I'm happy you're able to say it. Well, that's I the I problem. Asked you, I asked you when we were friends because I was like, I don't want you to have to ever not be able to say it. You what did I say? I don't remember when you asked me. I probably no, you? <laughs> I, I said no, right? Because I no, probably you said no. Are you? <laughs> oh, I did. <laughs> I'm funny. Um. So wait, getting back to so a little like Amy Schumer, Louis C.K. Opposite of gay, by the way. I have absolutely uh, trust me. I know. No, you're not the opposite of gay. No, you're no. actually like a gay man. I've told you that. <laughs> I'm you... actually. I'm actually the. Op I'm, I'm saying that I have zero attraction sexually to a woman. Right. I, no, I understood what you meant by that. You oh. sat on my porch here in, uh, I remember, and you saw these surfers go by on skateboards. And you, you, I think you whistled low. You didn't whistle loudly, but you whistled loud enough for everybody on the porch to hear you. I laughed at that. Let's just say that. Yeah. I know that. So comedians today, you know, when you curse, I find that it's a cheap laugh. They can yeah. be funny, but it's like a cheap way of doing comedy. Right. You know, like I'm not a fan of Sarah Silverman, uh, Amy Schumer. I do like Ricky Gervais, I think is really yeah. funny. I love what he yeah. did at the Oscars a couple of years ago. I thought love, that was ballsy. Love, love, yeah, love. See, that's a chance I like, I'm willing to take. You know, I right. say a joke about, um, this is funny because I said Jap in Hawaii and I explained Jewish American princess. 
And a white liberal girl comes up to me and says, you can't say Jap. I said, why not? I, I say it's Jap, a Jewish American princess, not, not a Japanese, you know, because of Pearl Harbor. And, and uh, Japanese people didn't mind at all. And, and just the other night, I said a Palestinian joke. I'm like, anybody here Palestinian? I need to know if I, ha- I need a body bodyguard or a body bag. You know what I mean? I, I said, you're not going to like me for the next 10 minutes. I can tell you right now. And then I went into another joke about Arabs. You know, there was an Arab guy. He's 80 years old. He's about to marry a 12-year-old girl. I don't know how you feel, but my first reaction was, oh, my God, this man's 80. He could die any day. Right. My second reaction was, Oh my God, this little girl gets to collect life insurance at such a young age. What a lucky bitch. <laughs> lucky bitch. So what about Aziz Ansari? I think he's pretty good too. He's funny. Yeah. But sometimes yeah. he crosses over to that political lefty thing, which, yeah. uh, you know, I I don't want to hear which that. Which he I'm... has a right to do, but I don't divide the room with politics. I don't do that on stage. I don't, you know, I'll divide you with Arab and Jew. I'll do that. I'll right. But when it comes to politics, you don't know where someone's coming from or going. Look, some people say they're against abortion. And then there's some people that are say, I'm, I'm pro-abortion. And why are you against the people that are against abortion? Maybe they had a miscarriage and they're dying for a child. Or maybe they had like six miscarriages. We don't know where they're coming from. So that's where people should just say, all right, your political stance, I understand where you might be coming from somewhere else. So respect it. I find conservatives could respect you just cut out again. Wait, I'm sorry. You just cut out again. So I want to repeat it. You, you want, I want to repeat it. So you're saying that you you say that conservatives can respect other viewpoints. Yes, more more so. They're much more tolerant than than the left are with the conservatives. The left are fed up. They're like, you know what? I have power now. Homosexuals, black people, Hispanics. They, I, I address the same exact people. I say, once you have power, women, you have power now. Start using it well. Don't bash the people that gave you the power. Like Obama was voted in by white people. The majority were white people. We are the majority, right? So why are you bashing the people that gave you that respect to speak? I don't, I don't bash the Germans today, the new generation, for what their ancestors did. I will never right. do that. So why would, why would you say white supremacist, first of all, to a Jew? I'm Jewish. When someone calls me a white supremacist, it's hilarious. They hate Jews. And secondly, why would you bash a white person in the first place if we're giving you the chance to speak? We're at your BLM parades, I mean, you know, uh, walks. We're, we're, we're doing everything to support you and now you wanna bash us? That's not okay with me. And homosexuals, you know, don't bash people that are not homosexual. Like if you're homosexual, if, if, I'm, not, if I'm not gay, I'm not anti-gay. I'm not pro-straight. I'm just, this is who I am and that's it. Like there's, there's no way to bash people. I don't know how we got. I don't know how we got this far in dividing everybody. Yeah. We got so far in dividing everyone that you have to look at everyone now as a woman, as gay, as black, as Hispanic. It's crazy. And it's revolting to me because uh, you know You've come I so far. You know it right. takes time. It takes time. You have to let the old generation die off because you know racism is not scary unless they're really acting on it and they're in a cult and they're they're in groups. The old people sitting in senior homes are racist as hell. They're they're cursing out black people all day long, but they can't do anything about it. They're helpless. So let them die off. Let it go and move on. But now you can't push people to not be racist. You can't push people, you to know, like gays. pushing. You, yeah. Right. Yeah. You you can't push it. Just be an example. You know what I mean? 
be the great example that you are. I had a housekeeper that was black. I loved her like a second mother. You know what I mean? Like I didn't see the color of her skin. It didn't matter to me. Prove yourself to people. That's all you have to do. That's I it. I agree. I think that we both um, are on the same page. Me and Brad, I always say this and I'll say it again. We're not the people that are going to say, you know, if you don't want to make us a cake, uh, we're going to take you to court. We're never those people. You don't want to make us a cake, have a nice life. I'll go across the street. Right. You know, so I totally get it. We don't want to push anyone. Not everyone can like everything about everyone. Right. right. It is hurtful. It is hurtful. I'm not going to say it doesn't sting. It does sting. I'm not going to say you're not, you're not crazy. If it stings, it's right. supposed to sting, but you right. will have a different behavioral uh, outcome than someone else. Right. I'm um, getting back to your original point about abortion and being uh, fiscally conservative. So I'm like you in that way. You don't mind, you know, I believe a woman's body is her choice. You want to have an abortion. That's fine. But you don't think that we should be paying for it, especially Absolutely. at this day and age, unless there's, you know, unless there's Absolutely. a medical emergency or somebody's raped. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Right. And, and nine months in, you should not be able to have an abortion. That's killing. That's murder. Well, listen, I, I'm going to say this, and I know that I talk about putting my best foot forward, but I'm not at the moment. If you're voting on infanticide, then it should be mandatory that you do it. It right. should be mandatory. If you're voting on that, then you – it should be mandatory you have an abortion at nine months. But to getting back also to cancel culture and yeah. comedians, yeah. Um, it's funny because um, – What's his name? Oh, uh, Jerry Seinfeld. Jerry won't perform because he can't. He won't perform, and it's a shame. He's at, a at funny colleges. guy. Yeah, yeah he won't university. perform at colleges. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I was just on a Zoom call. Um, there's a lake house that I bought, and there's a community there. And I said, "Oh, I'll bring comedy to to you guys. It's in New Jersey." I said, "I'll bring New York to you." Well, this guy was like, "Well, I'm looking at your Twitter now, and you said you don't, you know, you don't believe in cloth masks don't work." I said, "Are you canceling me before <laughs> I even get there?" Yes. I said, you know what? I'm not doing the show now. And everybody was upset. They're like, "No, do the show." I'm like, "No, no, I would not subject my my comedians." And I'm a producer. I produce comedy shows in New York. I will not subject my comedians to feel any less than what they want to perform. And if you get offended, walk out. It's a comedy show, not a TED talk. That's the first thing I say when I'm up on stage. If I'm hosting a show, I go, guys, I'm letting you know, we're not at a TED Talk. We're not at a graduation. We're at a comedy club. We're here to laugh. Everybody's here is equal. That's it. And your comedians are on the same page as you. Absolutely. I yeah. mean, they're, if they're woke comedians or whatever that word is, if you want to say woke, I think they're in a slumber and I think they're sleeping. But if you want to say they're woke, let them be not on my watch, not on my show, not on my anything. I think there's going to be um, backlash. I think a lot of comedians are coming back. Uh, Chris Rock and all these, and, and Jerry Seinfeld and a whole bunch of them. There's going to be a bash, uh, backlash because oh, it's people going to backfire because it's a pendulum. Absolutely. You understand? A pendulum goes so far, and then it has yeah. to swing the other way, and that's what I think is going to happen in politics. There's so much backlash because there's it's a stifling effect. First of all, we're not young enough to know to not know any better. We're we're old enough to know that we have gone through Richard Pryor right. and Eddie Murphy. And Eddie Murphy, right. We're not, we're not ready to give that up. But, you know, the older ones are like, oh, wait a minute. We're not, we're not giving that up yet. Now, corporations, like if you're owned by a corporation, let's say, and you're a brand and you, you, know, you advertise for Target, it, yeah, you could be canceled because they don't want the backlash from their customers. And so that trickles down. 
I'm not owned by anyone, which is great. I have my own, you know, I could do whatever I want on my own shows that I produce them myself at a comedy club. And I am fine with whoever, well, I'll own it myself. I'll right. eat it, but nobody else owns me, which is a great liberating place. Yeah, it is. And that's one of the nice things about doing this podcast is I'm able to be myself. I don't yes. like to talk about politics uh, because it's just too polarizing. And, you know, I don't mind let everybody want to believe the way they believe. But sometimes, you know, I do give my opinion on certain things. And the great part about doing the podcast is I can. Yes, and that's what I, I love about podcasts. And a lot of talk shows now, they're going to, once Conan is now out, he's going to do a podcast. He will succeed. He will succeed well because now he could really be himself. He can podcasts be himself. are a dream. I want to do one for sure. Well, I think you are going to do one, and I can't wait till you do because I think you're a natural at it. Oh, really? Tell me. Yeah, I do. So is that what's next for you? Tell me. I know you said you're doing another book. Yes, I'm doing another book on, on relationships. relationships. Yeah. Okay, relationships that's great. With everyone, not just with a spouse, not with not with just your partner, just right. everyone. Everyone. You know, your siblings, and why are you like that? You know. So, how is the relationship with you and your mom? I know I have to speed it up. I just I want to know how's okay. the relationship with you and your mom. My mom and I are great one on one. Once we're with other people, she just becomes a little bit more you know, the container that she's in, she's right. liquid, you know? So one-on-one, -on -one, she's my biggest fan. She laughs at all my jokes. She loves the fact that, that my book did, the fact that she liked my book and my grandfather liked my book, I mean, says a lot. Yeah. But I'll tell you this, if she didn't like it, it would be because someone told her not to. You know what I mean? Like there was right. like- People like, people in our community like to keep the skeletons kind of in the closet. So the right. fact that she liked it really was yeah, supporting was her own way. She was worried, I'm but sure. she saw it, I did it in a tasteful way. You did. Where things happened, you know, organically. And I did it very tastefully, I think. Okay, it was great. Vicki, I can't wait to see your next project. I think that you should definitely work on the podcast Thank and you. the next book. Thank you so much, Richie. This was a pleasure and I'm so glad you had me on. I'm so grateful. And also, I want to just say also that my son wrote a book too, just in case anybody wants to know about it. It's called The Making of Bearzilla of his trip around the world uh, at 16 years old on a budget of $35 a day. It's a great book. Great. Read. How do people find it? Book. How do people That's find on it? Amazon also. Amazon also. Okay. Yeah. Congratulations, Vicki. I'm, I'm really so proud of you and you. you inspire me. And I didn't think you would because I thought I was superior to you, but I guess you know what? I'm, funny I'm kidding. No, no. It's funny that you say that. I say that about feminists. I'm like, you know, now they're ruining <laughs> it for me because now my husband thinks that we're equal and I'm more superior than he is. Right. But the truth is I really, and I know you have to wrap it up and I, I have to go too, but I want to say that humor, remember humor to be the most the most amazing asset that you have, the most amazing thing to have is a sense of humor also, because it'll get you through so many hard times and we're all, we're all going to hit hard times no matter what, but if you can get through it with humor and the people that don't get your humor, move on, go, go to with someone that will. And I get your humor. You always, yes. from the very start, we sat next to each other at a wedding and you had me laughing during a ceremony. <laughs> I was just dying. <laughs> And that's I'm what funny. I As Melissa Rivers says, everyone has a right not to listen. That's right. Right? Yeah. You have a right to not listen. Really so good. the that's book really is called point. Impress Yourself. Yeah. Uh, so the book is called Impress Yourself by Victoria Tusi Arnstein. Go out yeah. and get it. It's very inspiring. Vicki, thank you. And I'm sure I'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye. Bye, Love baby. You. Same here. 
You've been listening to Rich in Life with Rich Arani. If you liked what you've heard, click subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. Or visit us at richinlife.com. That's R-I-T-C-H in life.com.